0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the show. This is the Millennial Millionaire Podcast, and I am your host, Stephen Cohen. This podcast is focused on bringing some of the wisest minds from across the globe to discuss concepts, strategies, and ideals that have led them to be top performers in their respective industries and their lives. This show is for the millennials and millennials at heart to transcend their mindset, their health, and their income to the next level. We are so excited to have you on this journey with us. Welcome to the show. Yo, 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 welcome back to the show, Millennial Millionaires. Today, super special guest, super excited. Uh, We have the man, the myth, the legend, Edwin Arayave. Edwin was born in Bogota, Colombia. He is the CEO um, and co-founder of Skyline Security, one of the largest Brinks dealerships in the country, a nine-figure alarm company. He's been featured on shows like Grant Cardone, Ed Mylett, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and honestly, he's a direct sales legend. But more importantly, a phenomenal father, a phenomenal husband, and an exceptional human being. So, Edwin, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Hey,
1: thanks for having me, Steven. Of course, man. i excited to be here, man.
0: So you're someone that uh, I think I met back in 2020 during COVID. We got connected yep. through life insurance, believe it or not, yep. uh, when I didn't know. I don't think anyone knew what the future of direct sales looked like. Yep. Um, and uh, I was just inspired by your story, man. I've heard your name before. Mm. My girlfriend's actually a fan of your wife's from the Real Housewives of Beverly mm-hmm. Hills, and when I found out you were in my industry with a similar story, uh, I just knew that we would hit it off and connect, man, so that super would. excited. It's gonna be an awesome episode, but for those that don't know who you are, Edwin, if you can give a quick background who you are, what you're about, we'll we'll hop into it.
1: Sure, awesome. Yeah, so uh, I was born in Bogota, Colombia. I came to the U.S. with my parents when I was six years old, in search of that american dream which unfortunately became an american nightmare because due to some unfortunate circumstances we pretty much lost everything so much so that at the age of fifteen years old i had to basically become the head of household and at the time i was lucky enough to get a job uh... working at a call center which was not a very ideal job for me because i was very shy and i was very timid but The one thing, I I, I took this job just in search of, I was in in such a bad place at the time with the family. So out of basically desperation, I decided to do this job because I was just tired of seeing my mom not be able to pay for the rent. I was tired of her not um, be able to pay for food at the end of the month because we're on food stamps. I was tired of my siblings and I living in this little bedroom that had No windows. And finally, I was just tired of like roaches waking me up in the middle of the night. So, the avoidance of pain basically caused me to take action towards something that really demanded more than I thought I was worth at the time. Because, again, the last thing I wanted to do was sail over the phone with how shy and timid I was. But I did have two things going for me I was a big dreamer, you know, at 12 years old. I'd stay home during vacation because my mom would work all day cleaning offices and she actually went door to door selling cleaning products and I would just stay home and I would visualize how one day I was gonna make 100 grand by the end. By, I gave myself, I said by 21 years old, I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but I'm gonna make 100 grand a year. And I became obsessed with making 100 grand a year and I became obsessed by making it by, by the age of 21. And then the other thing I had going for me was my mom always made me feel like God was with me because she'd always pray over me. So I always felt like God was with me. And that helped me sort of take on things that also demanded more than I thought I was worth. So when I became the manager at 15 years old at this call center, the, I started focusing on the only two things I could focus on. Uh, number one was my activity. Number two was attitude. Mm. And because I was very shy, and I was very t- timid, and I didn't have any talent, I just became obsessed with outworking people. And I became obsessed with running big numbers. I, I worked more hours. I worked, I did more phone calls. And just, I became obsessed with repetition. And I, I, I'd role play like crazy. Uh, I went to the, cell, to the top sales guy, and I said, hey, can you record your pitch? And he did, and, and all I did was I wrote it word for word, verbatim, and then I must have said that pitch thousands of times, and I got his rebuttals, and I, co- you know, I basically copied word for word everything he did. And that helped me get a lot of certainty. And I think when the beautiful thing about certainty is when you know what you're doing, where you're going, and why you're doing it, even if you're timid, you operate out of certainty, and when you operate out of certainty, your enthusiasm naturally comes out. And again, I just became obsessed with repetition of all the boring stuff that no one wanted to do, I did it. Part of that was just showing up every day. So like all the people that were way more talented than I was never showed up on Saturdays. I was there every Saturday. We had these leadership, leadership development trainings. I showed up, we were supposed to show up an hour before, we start selling on the phones. These guys would show up like 20 minutes before we start on the phones. I'd showed up like an hour. And just that, like these little things that I started doing, started giving me confidence and believing that maybe I did deserve more than my guys that were way more talented because I was doing all the little things they weren't willing to do. And I became energized by it instead of fatigued by it. Mm. See, what I've noticed is most people don't like repetition and because they don't like repetition they start changing things around they just try to get creative Preventing the wheel yep trying to make things easier for themselves and once in a while once in a while that might work but what i found is when i don't want to leave things to chance i just take massive action i run big big numbers and those big numbers allow me to get the results, and the results gave me, give me the confidence. And whatever you do repetitively, you will respond reflexively mm. under pressure. And that's why habits matter, because habits are reflexive. And when the heat is on, when the pressure is on, you will act reflexively. And, and for me, good habits, I've always had unwavering faith. I've always had massive work ethic. I've always had discipline. I've always had perseverance. I've always had you know, integrity. So when, when it gets tough, those things immediately, I don't have to think about it, they just they come out. And that came out at a, at a young age. And sure enough, at 18 years old, I became the youngest manager in company history. And from that, I got a ton of confidence, because now I was like, wait a minute. I, I'm managing people that are twice my age. I'm managing people that are going to college. I'm not even going to college at the time. had just graduated with a 1.8 gpa Mm. it's like these little things made me start to believe that you know maybe i did deserve more
0: man i love that so much it resonates a lot with my story a lot to a lot to unpack there but similar to you when i first got introduced to entrepreneurship it was a similar industry direct sales and similar i was very shy very timid very introvert and it wasn't until i got out of my comfort zone and put myself in a situation to practice communication skills mm-hmm. that I really started to believe that I could actually create some type of level of success without going the traditional, you know, work 40 hours a week for 40 years of your life, hopefully be a lock, a doctor, a lawyer, surgeon one day and then call that a life. Yeah. Edwin, how much do you believe of your success came from your childhood because one thing that I noticed with successful people is a lot of time, like you mentioned, you were running away from pain in life. We either run towards pleasure, we run away from pain. I think the pain um, has more momentum in most cases because you're going to do things to prevent you from feeling that type of way. How much of success do you believe comes from your childhood and the lessons and reasons that you correlate to certain things that happen with your life?
1: Yeah, I think my childhood, when I think back to it, you you, you can't at least for me, you can't improve something that you're unaware of. And what happened to me as a kid is I got a taste of what growing up with money is, right? I had options, you know, as a kid, whatever I wanted, I had. And then all of a sudden, it got all taken away. And I realized what it, what also was on the other side of that. And I think, I call it touching the dream. I got to, I, I got to taste a little bit when I was younger, So that when it was taken away, I'm like, wait a minute, I have to have that again. I want to make sure my siblings had what I had as a younger age. Also, as a young, so it made me dream bigger. And I think that's where those big dreams came, right? I I promised my dad at 10 years old when they took him to jail that one day uh, when he got out, he wouldn't have to work a day in his life so Mm. that he wouldn't get into the industry that landed him in jail I promised my mom at 12 years old that one day I was going to buy her, her dream house. And then I also had these huge, huge dreams of like one day living in Hollywood Hills overlooking the entire city, one day having a house that's on the sand and, you know, I just had all these huge dreams and, and I just knew that to get there uh, I was going to have to do something, you know, different that most people weren't doing, right? So, but anyways, but, uh, the chaos that I went through as a kid. I think helped me as well because it made me, when, when our house would get raided by law enforcement, there was a lot of chaos during that because they come in and they just flip your house upside down. And my mom would always be yelling for me because she was scared of what I was going through. And I had to remain calm because I wanted her to be calm. Mm. And I think that has helped me be calm under pressure. Um, So I think that's one of the things that I think, as I look back to my childhood, that and and obviously the the big dreams and, and, but a a lot of that came from becoming aware of of what that is. And then also at a young age, just my ignorance, I I would go touch the dream all the time. I'd, I'd go and when I started making some decent money at 18 years old, I went to nice restaurants. I went to, you know, West Hollywood. I went to Beverly Hills and I was like, wait a minute. This looks totally different from Huntington Park. Uh, that's in southeast L.A. I always tell people not to be confused with, sunny, with, with Huntington Beach, polar opposites. All different. And um, I remember just saying to myself, man, th- this is where I belong. This is where I need to be. And that really made me want to work harder uh, so I can get to those Uh, to that lifestyle.
0: Absolutely, it's so interesting to me because I can resonate a lot with this. Growing up, you mentioned that you were pretty introvert, very shy, and someone that looks at you, someone that's built a massive alarm empire, he's been on reality TV, you know, he's a coach and mentor to so many. You look at him, he's be like, he's ultra confident or he's an extrovert or he's an amazing communicator, or he's got so much charisma. And the one thing that i found because for myself, and a lot of super successful people even especially in our industry is most of the time they grew up not feeling that way they were shy they were timid they're self-conscious they were self conscious they did not believe in themselves maybe they got bullied maybe they went through trauma um, in their life and because of that reason they had to work two three four five times harder on themselves because they didn't have the gifts therefore that skill developed can you touch on how important developing being a personable person and communication is
1: in terms of success? Yeah, 100%, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think for some people that maybe don't have that communication skill right off the bat, the beauty of it is you can work on it, right? And and like for me, preparation gives me just a ton of confidence. Even Mm. when I have to speak on stage or anything like that, I have to prepare. I can't just go up there and wing stuff, right? But again, it's all about certainty. Belief drives everything. And when you operate out of certainty, you can transfer that to the audience. You can transfer that in sales, right? And I think, you know, I always tell my my sales guys that you don't have to believe what you're saying. People don't have to believe that you believe what you're saying. People don't have to believe what you're saying. They have to believe that you believe what you're saying. Mm. And, when I've always sold and communicated, I have to believe in it. First right? one you gotta sell. If I don't believe in it, there's no way in hell that I could sell. That's why I've never like looked at myself as a great sales guy. But if I get convinced of something, then I could I could sell anything, right? Because I, I believe it. So I'm constantly looking to validate my belief level. Uh, you know, when I started selling alarms going door to door, I would, look at articles all the time. I'd read articles on, on burglaries, I'd read articles on fire accidents, carbon monoxide accidents, and what that did for me it was validating my belief level about my business. And that's why when I went out there to sell, like I could transfer that to clients and, and people believed it. So again, I think communication, uh, the beauty of it is you can work on it. Um, I, the way I've always worked on it is I. I, I, I'll take things word for word, and then I'll memorize them. I'll then internalize them, and then I'll personalize them. Mm. And then people don't even realize that I've actually written it out as if it was a script. And, but you can't tell, because I know it so well, right? It's no different than an actor, right? When he's in a movie or she's in a movie, you can't tell it's a script. That's because they learned it so well. It's unconscious. Yeah, it's, it's it's already done. You can't even tell. So that's, that's the way I've always done it, and, and that's where I, that confidence comes out. No,
0: 100%. You mentioned two things uh, that I really want to double-click on, um, declaration and visual, visualization. You know, you said at 10, 11, 12, you told your parents, hey, I'm going to retire you. I'm going to buy you that house. Similar to me, when I was younger, one of my big whys was to get my parents out of their condo, buy them a house, retire mm-hmm. them. And one thing that I've noticed is that was really my chief aim for the longest time. I accomplished that a couple of years ago. So you have to continue to continue to evolve. But one of the things that I did that I think is powerful, because if if we went through our sales organizations or we met strangers in, in the street on the Las Vegas Strip, and we we asked, hey, do you want to be successful? Do you want to take care of your family? Do you want to retire your parents? Do you want to you know live your dream life? Everyone's going to say yes, mm-hmm. but there's a difference between declaring that and being committed to it and just wanting it and hope it happens. Can you touch a little bit on the power of declaration and how important it is to not just keep your goals and your dreams internal and to declare them to the people you care about to give yourself some type of accountability to go out there and get it?
1: Of course, yeah, no, it all starts with declaration, right? The, the, the declaration is the desire to want to do something great with your life. Mm. Those are your dreams, that's the hope, right? You should always have hope, no matter where you're at in life, no matter how successful you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, that's hope, right? It's, lo- it's something that you're looking forward to. That's really the definition to it, right? And for me, that starts with declaration, right? And then it's, it's, it's visualizing it. Like for me, I, I'm always huge on visualizing. And then it's taking action towards it, right? Which that's the faith part. So I think it starts with hope, then you go into the faith part, right? The faith part is, is uh, the projection of the most positive thing for the future. Whereas if you look at fear, is the projection of the worst possible thing for the future. Mm right? So they they both haven't happened yet, and 90% of winning is just having faith, having a positive attitude, taking a negative into a positive. positive, I call it positive mental attitude. Uh, For me, faith has always been, uh, you know, I'm a follower of Christ, so it gives me confidence that I can do something, right? And then becoming is believing in yourself, right? So you have to have hope, faith and then becoming, which is you believe in yourself. That means that you believe that you're worth a 100 grand a year in your heart before you actually have it. You believe that you're worth a million dollars a year in your heart before you actually have it. The only way you believe something in your heart is by experiencing it. Mm. And the only way you can ever experience it is by stepping into the uncertainty of something that demands more than you think you're worth and then succeeding at it. Mm. See, when you succeed at it, now you experience it. Now you unlock a new level of belief. See, if we examine when I say when something demands more than you think you're worth, what does that mean? That probably means you're not going to want to do it. That probably means it's going to make you very, very uncomfortable. And it's probably going to scare the crap out of you, and you're going to run away from it but if you actually step into it, it's the only way you'll know if you could do it or not. Right? If you don't, like, again, I take it back to at 15 years old, I stepped into the uncertainty of wanting to become a manager by by the age of 18 years old. It seemed impossible, but I was at least going to try it. See, the purpose of a goal is not necessarily to accomplish it, but to become the person that attempts it. Mm. And I've always just attempted it. It's the only way you're going to know if you can or not, if you don't attempt it, you'll never know. And what happens is fear is, is the killer of all dreams, right? Because it, it responds to the future by A, paralyzing you, right? It paralyzes you. You don't want to move. And then when you realize, okay, I got to move, right? You procrastinate and then you become paranoid. You overthink the crap out of it. And because you overthink the crap out of it, it's all negative because you're never going to overthink positive stuff. You always, if you think about it, every time you've overthanked something, it's negative.
0: Yeah, your brain's going to protect you, not help you win.
1: Right, and that, and that's what 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 fear does. But if you can just attempt it, then you when you actually hit it and win it, now your belief level believes it, and it unlocks a new level of belief, because belief drives everything, right? And I believe we all have this unlimited potential, right? God's given us all these gifts to accomplish whatever we want in life, right? However, that potential is limited to where you're at today. Mm. Meaning, at 15 years old, sure, I dreamt that I was gonna live the life I'm living today, I visualized literally the life that I live today, I visualized it at 15 years old. Now, did I believe it at 15 years old? Heck no. Mm. But I gave myself a target. Uh, I didn't look at the goal, right? Because Sometimes if you look at the ending goal, it seems so far away, it discourages you. It creates doubt. It creates doubt. So what I did is I just created targets to get to my goal. And the first target was, all right, I'm going to become the manager by 18 years old. If I can become the manager by 18 years old, then I'll be making 60 grand a year. By 21, I should be making 100 grand a year. So when I hit 18, now that untapped a new level of belief. And then when I hit 21 years old and I started the security company and I made 150 grand my first year, that untapped a new level of belief. And it's like a video game. Every time I hit a new level, a new belief level starts. And that's why greatness is not a destination. It's the pursuit of the best version of yourself. Because every time you hit the best version of yourself, you're going to unlock a new level of potential.
0: I love that so much, man. The higher the the higher you go, the higher you can see. I, I feel like so many people out there. The reason that they don't step in the arena, the reason that they don't go out there and try something, is because, to your point before, they're not in pain but they're comfortable you know there's a great metaphor there's a great story that i heard uh there was a young boy that was walking uh through a field and he saw an old man with a dog sitting on the lap and the dog was crying and the little boy approached the old man on the stool and was like hey you know why why is your dog crying and then the old man responded well he's he's sitting on a he's sitting on a pin it's hurting he's like well well why doesn't the dog move and then the old man responds because it's not hurting enough Yeah. You know, a lot of us like we're not happy with our situations. Maybe we're not happy with the amount of income we're making or happy with the relationship or happy with our lifestyle. But because it's familiar, because we're comfortable with it, we don't have that pressure or that desire to go step into the unknown, which is really the only way to go see what you're made of to unlock those new levels like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, Edwin, we're in the we're both in the space of building people. You know, we're in direct sales. I don't think solar is the product. I don't think alarms the product. I think people are the product because, exactly. you know, as you know, the more people you help, uh, the more you get helped. And, you know, it's not about building the business. It's about building people, and the people will build the business. But unfortunately— I think the negative side of our business is at least on my end for every hundred people that come into my organization, maybe 20 or 30 are there a year, two, three years later, you know, everyone comes in, they're super excited. I'm going to change my life. They listen to your training, they get fired up. I'm going to go make six figures, quarter million, a million dollars. And then unfortunately, if you follow these people over a year, two years, three years, somewhere along the way, they lose that fire and they start drifting. Why do you think most people in business don't win?
1: Well, I think their purpose is probably not big enough, mm. right? Your, your purpose has to be big enough that it can overcome all the excuses that you make for yourself, right? And you have to, at least, again, at least for me, you have to aspire for more than just a living. I think people, fortunately most people, they're just trying to make a living. And I believe, don't just aspire to make a living, aspire to make a difference, mm. You know like for me i wanted to make sure that my parents were taken care of then i wanted to make sure my siblings were taken care of then i wanted to make sure that my future children were going to be taken care of and when i started my business i wanted to make sure that the people that helped me get to the success that i had are taken care of you know i, I often tell people that what i love about direct sales is that it gives everyone a shot and you know there's a lot of we all know that in sales, you can make money, right? But a lot of sales jobs, unless you got the education, unless you look a certain way, unless you got the right hookups, you ain't getting the chance. For sure. And I'm a firm believer that in life, you just need a shot and I'm a byproduct of it. You know, at, at 15 years old, I was lucky enough to get a job working at the call center. What most people don't know is that prior to that, I got rejected at 16 job interviews. And the reason I got rejected was because I was so shy and timid that during the interviews, I would start stumbling my words and I get really nervous and then I'd start sweating like profusely, like just sweating. And no one would hire me. I guess they probably thought I was on drugs or something. And finally a buddy of mine says, hey, I found this job, they hire anybody. Just show up. I promise you they'll hire you. I'm like, how do you know that? Like I sent the last seven people there, they've all gotten hired. So I'm like, I get all excited. I show Pretty up to odds. this, yeah. I'm like I show up to this job interview, and sure enough, two minutes into the interview, the guy's handing me over a paper towel, and I'm like, oh wow. damn, he's seen that I'm sweating. So then I get really nervous, and I just start pouring in sweat because the pressure of like, oh my goodness, I'm gonna get, I'm I'm gonna get declined one more time. Sure enough, I get declined. So I go to the rest. I, I'm walking back to my car, discouraged. I stop by the restroom. And I'd start washing my face because I was sweating. And I just start praying to God. I said, God, just give me a shot. I promise you, if you give me a shot, I'll work harder than anyone's ever worked. And I'll always praise your name. And sure enough, as soon as I get out of that restroom, there's a gentleman outside. And he says, hey, kid, when do you start? I said, I don't start. You guys are completely full. Starts laughing. He's like, who told you that? I said, well, the guy I just interviewed with. He's like, He says, come with me. And he takes me over to the Director of HR who I just interviewed with and he says hey, I need you to hire this kid I need him to start at 3 p.m. tomorrow and the beauty of that is that six years later That's the same person that helps me start the security company 25 years ago Wow, and I'm a firm believer that in life. You just need a shot in life You just need a system in life You just need somebody that believes in you that is going to mentor you and show you how to do it And if you do that you're one person away from changing your life, and I believe this platform Direct sales platform allows you to do that, and it's why I work as hard as I work because I want to give people the same opportunity that that I was given. You know, in 25 years now, the company's made over 600 million. We're on pace to doing what took us 25 years in the next two years. Uh, just this year alone, we did 200 million. And while we do it, I want to create the most six, seven, and eight-figure year earners that our industry has ever created. And a big part of that is I just want to give people the same opportunity. That I had. So my point is, I think a lot of people don't succeed because they're just thinking about themselves. See, if you live for yourself, you can settle for less. But if you live for others, it will require all of who you are.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if your why doesn't make you cry, it's not big enough. You know, exactly. you, need, you need big reasons. You need something that when things go wrong, which most of the time, especially when starting out, they're going to, it's almost kind of like the universe, God, the marketplace, whatever you believe in, whenever you try something new or you try and take a big step to your goal, it's purposely giving you resistance to forge you into having the fortitude and the resilience to become the person that you need to be to be able to maintain that opportunity. Yeah. You know, I always used to think before I got into direct sales, similar to you, I became the fastest manager in our previous company when I started solar four months I did network marketing for three years before that and I made zero money I was working mm. full time running meetings two, three, four times a week selling these dream and energy drinks and I remember when I first got into solar I made my first like $7,000 commission in a month which to me was life changing money I thought I could retire my parents travel the world right mm. you think six figures at the time is a lot of money and then you make six figures especially yeah. in today's age and you're like the new six figures is definitely three or four hundred K but I remember thinking man i if I would have got into this three years earlier, I'd be a freaking millionaire already. This is mm-hmm. back in 2015. But what I didn't realize, what allowed me to have so much success my first year transitioning over to mm-hmm. the direct sales business is because I was working on my identity. I was working on my presentation. I was working on my skill set and my resilience. It's kind of like that uh, that meme with the iceberg underneath the water, and then you have, you know, you can see the success, but then you see the hard work, the sacrifice, the resilient. Right. I was building my self-image. So when the right vehicle approached, I just took off. And I think most people, they're not willing to do that inner work. They're not willing to do that personal development. I've heard you say once before, and I've i have stole it. I'm not sure if you're the one that came up with it, but mm. I'll give you credit. That direct sales is just a personal development program with a massive compensation plan attached. Yeah. And I love that so much because it's true. My belief is the more I grow as an individual, the kinder I get, the more personable, the more willing I'm able to manage my emotions, the more money I make and my personal development is correlated uh, to my growth financially as well as spiritually. Can you touch a little bit on personal development
1: and what that's done in your life and the people you care about? 100%. So you're never going to out-earn your self-worth. You could have all the talent in the world, but if you don't feel like you deserve it, you're never going to get it. So the question then becomes, well, how do I build my self-worth? Well, we already talked about one, which is by putting yourself in a circumstance that demands more than you think you're worth and then succeeding at it. The other one is association. One way that you can associate is personal development because personal development allows you to associate with some of the most successful people in the world. And when you start taking their experiences and you start to apply them, you'll start to manifest who those people are because you're like, wait a minute, I did exactly what they're doing. They're worth a ton of money. I should be worth a ton of money, right? So for me, that's why it's it's huge for all my guys to continue to develop as a person because the more they can develop, the more that identity grows. And when that identity grows, then they could do some big, big things. And that's why I think you see so many people, you know, they'll... They'll do well for a little bit, but then they'll come right back down to what they really think they're worth, because they're not constantly working on their mind. That's something I do on the daily. The same way I work on my fitness of the body, I work on the fitness of the mind, Mm. uh, which is constantly you know, 15 to 30 minutes a day. Sometimes I go an hour, and I work on mindset, and the way I do it, I'm not just driving, listening to a podcast, or I'm not just working out, listening to podcast. Not meditating. A podcast. I'm, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. No, I'm legitimately, if I'm listening to a podcast, I'm hitting play, I'm hitting stop, I'm writing it down. I'm mm. hitting play, hitting stop, I'm writing it down. And I'll write that Intentional. Stuff, intentional. I'll write that stuff word for word. At nighttime, I'll look at it again, and that's how I start to retain the information. For me, it's it's hard for me to retain information, so I have to work a little harder at it, but that that's the way I do it. And then what happens is, when i when i do it i'm like wait a minute these people are worth a ton of money and they're doing exactly what i've already mm. done so i guess i do deserve more. no wonder i am pretty good at what i'm doing and all it's doing is just it's making my mind believe in, in a very humble way that you do deserve more you know
0: mm. let's talk about identity uh for a little bit because it's one of my favorite topics and it's the thing that resonated the most i know you're friends with ed milet yeah um you know your close friends you're on his show and um the, the identity hearing his content has really shifted my life and it's shifted the way that I've trained people. Because I think most people in life, whether we're talking about the direct sales industry or just young, hungry entrepreneurs or people who are self-employed, they're so focused on the how. They're so focused on the strategy. They're focused yep. on what connections do I need to make or what's my go-to-market strategy or what's my red line or how much margins are we making? They're focused on all the external stuff, which is important, mm-hmm. you know? You can't not have a bad strategy and win but in my experience what's most important is raising that belief level. It's doing the things that you know you should be doing because as you're doing that you're raising that internal thermostat and ultimately like you mentioned that's the way to sustain success. I've seen so many people that started around the same time that started that had quick jolts of success. Mm -hmm. People when I was a broke college student that were making ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month in their early 20s and now they're not doing that great because they had a quick burst of success, but their character didn't catch up with their income, and unfortunately, it went down. So for me, it's all about, like you said, the the tortoise and the hare. It's about those slow incremental gains, but it's about doing it the right way. Can you touch a little bit about the identity and maybe some things that, whether you're in sales or, or just some type of performance-based industry that you can do to not just
1: increase your income, but also sustain it? Yeah, 100%. And and just, um, you know, I think you're a testament of of being good with the little things. And if you're good with the little things, you'll be good with the big things. Mm. That's why I think you did so well when those three years that you sort of ate crap in network marketing, you were building the muscles that you need to sustain success for a long time. It's why you don't want it to be too easy. When guys come in and it's just too easy for them and they start making a ton of money, sometimes that's the worst thing that could happen to them because... They have. They didn't have to go through pain. And what happens is, life and pain is, are inseparable. You're going to get punched in the face, and if you've never developed the muscles, then when life punches you in the face, you're done, right? And it's almost why you almost wanted to be harder at first, because when it's harder at first, you get to build, you know, the three biggest skill sets that I think you could ever have, uh, which are fortitude, our grit, and resilience. Mm. You know, if you look at, at a dictionary of fortitude, it's, it's the courage to, uh, courage in adversity, grit, the courage to resolve, to just figuring stuff out. You know, I think I mentioned the fear is the killer of all dreams. Another killer of all dreams is the, the, the knowing how. Like When you think of the how, you literally psych yourself out. I've never worried about the how. I've always just worried about the why. And it's not about knowing everything, it's about having the courage to just take action towards that goal and just figure it out. And when you just figure it out, that's the courage to resolve, that's the grit part. And when you figure it out, now what happens is your identity starts to grow, right? But if you don't attempt it, because you get paralyzed by fear, you get paralyzed by the no, I need to know before I take action. Well, first of all, it's not faith. Faith is taking action before you have what you need. Mm. Faith is touching the dream before you have what you need. You know, faith is tasting the dream before you have what you need, right? Again, you're never going to improve on something you're unaware of. You know, if you've never flown first class, like, why would you want to fly first class, right? If you've never gone to a nice restaurant, if you never stayed at a nice hotel, like, why would you want to work your ass off to do it? You're, even, you're not even aware of it, right? So it's why it's, it's important to touch the dream before you actually have what you need because that'll make you wanna work your butt off to go make it happen. I think those are some of the great things I did as, as when I was younger is I was always touching the dream, man. And that made me like fired up about wanting to do great things. And the, the thing about touching the dream too, it's always gonna make, the thing about touching the dream before you have what you need, it's always going to be uncomfortable. Mm. Anything that's good for you is going to be uncomfortable, right? You don't think I was uncomfortable at 21 years old, walking into a Mercedes dealership, it's growing up from the hood, you know? I was like, man, Imposter gonna, syndrome. Yeah, they're going to laugh me out of this freaking dealership. Yeah. I still went, and I test drove the car. Yeah. You know, you don't think I was fearful when I first went to an open house of, of a $2 million house at 21 years old? I was like, of course I was. But then I'm like... Phew. The first time I went to Beverly Hills and I started hanging out in those areas, you know, I grew up in the hood, right? Uh, Like I looked like a cholo, basically, like a freaking big 42-size pants, muscle shirt, and I go into Rodeo Drive like that, you know? A little uncomfortable, but hey, I was like, wait a minute. Once I got there, I was like, this is where I belong, man. Yeah, I need to dress different too, man. I kind of like this style more than this style. And I started working harder so I could buy nicer clothes and stuff like that. So, and then that, all those things helped me build my identity, right? Because it was like, wait a minute, I do belong here. But if you never touch the dream, how are you going to know if you belong there or not? hundred percent, right? If all you know is living in, in a beat up ass apartment, like I was in 16, at 16 years old, then that would have been the norm. Yeah. Right. And I said that, that would have been as good as it's going to get. Right. But I kept touching the dream and Every time I did, and again, it was, I, I had to put some money behind it. I wasn't scared of losing money either. I was like, you know what? I worked my ass off. Let me go reward myself. I'm going to go spend $200 at a restaurant. But when I t- spent that $200 on a meal, I was like, wait a minute. I need to work harder. Makes you not want to go back to Chick fil A. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm like, I ain't going back to Sizzler. Yeah. You know? Uh, so, so yeah, no, identity, identity is, is, is everything in life. And I think what sometimes, though, we got to understand about identity is that it's in all areas of your life. Mm. You could have a great identity in business, but what's your identity in fitness, right? You could have a great identity in business and fitness, but what's your identity in your as a family man, right? You could have a great identity in family, fitness, and finances, but what's your identity in your faith, right? How closer are you trying to get on your spiritual side, right? So one of the ways, the best way to increase your identity is by keeping the promises that you make to yourself. Because when you keep the promises you make to yourself, you're building confidence. What happens is going back to declaration, it all starts with you declaring something. I'm going to be the number one sales guy in the entire office company this year. That's That's how it starts. That's what you should do. The problem is, Your subconscious mind doesn't believe it. Mm. The reason it doesn't believe it is because it has a history of you never keeping the promises you make to yourself. So to try to protect you from feeling bad about yourself, it'll self-sabotage yourself to bring you back down to what you really think you're worth. So the antidote to that is every time you keep the promise you make to yourself from now on, Going forward, you're like, no matter how small, no matter how big, I'm going to keep the promises I make to myself. And what happens is your subconscious mind will begin to rise up. And the minute your subconscious mind rises up to what your conscious mind is saying, you'll literally be able to speak things into existence. You'll attract everything you've always wanted in your life. Your subconscious mind, though, you've got to understand, is always going to prove itself correct. So the more and more you keep the promises that you make to yourself, now your subconscious mind is, okay, this person really knows everything they say comes true and it'll, it'll make it come true. And, you know, not to become too bl- biblical on, on this, but you know, I've looked at it like if we're in created, if we're created in God's image and God is about truth, if you become about truth, you should be able to speak things into existence. And the killer of all dreams, besides fear and knowing, is people don't keep the promises they make to themselves. It's why they can't speak things into existence.
0: Mm, mm, mm. You're speaking my love language, Edwin. I love this stuff so much because yeah, because I lived it. And yeah, uh,
1: same here, I've lived it. It's not like from a textbook. Like I've literally lived it. That's why, like I said earlier, when you when you feel the conviction and the reason you can transfer, it's because you lived it. If you haven't lived it, you can't you can't say it with that kind of passion.
0: No, hundred percent. Well said. So a lot of people look at someone like you, super successful on TV, runs a nine figure business, has a massive organization and you know, they may be listening to you and say, well, well, it's easy for you to say now, you know, you're super successful, you've made it, but life, business this journey that we're on is, is not all ups and downs. I, I think people have a misconception. Once you make a certain amount of income, whether it's a hundred thousand, quarter million, a million, 10 million, then life just becomes easy and the problems mm. start to go away. I know for you, after getting through the call center and obviously meeting that one person after that one meeting, launching Skyline and, you know, dedicating your life and your professional career to it, even when you started making money and the business started growing and you started getting success and a little fame, things weren't, all sunshine and rainbows. Can you touch a little bit about some of the challenges and what you need to do when people face those challenges
1: in order to overcome them? Yeah, no, going back to life and pain are inseparable, the the faster you can understand that life and pain are inseparable and that pain is always gonna be there, the more successful that you're going to become. I think there's this like fallacy that. If you become more successful, you just, you won't have to go through pain, right? People think that things don't get, things get easier as you get more successful. The the reality is that things get really, really hard. You just become better. You just become better, exactly. You just become better, that's the only difference. But the only reason you become better is because instead of running away from the pain, you stand in it and you go through it, right? So your greatness is always gonna stay dormant if you're not willing to go through pain, right? Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Mm. And what I mean by that is, suffering is when you're going through pain and all you're doing is lamenting over it, you're basically overthinking it, feeling sorry for yourself, versus what you should be doing is taking action towards that pain. If you take action towards that pain, that fear, that anxiety, all that stuff goes away. And the more you get used to it, you just sort of become immune to it, right? Like pain is actually in my, like pain I view that as a good thing. Like it's just, it's part of life. Like it doesn't even phase you. It's just like, it's supposed to happen. It's not supposed to be easy. Who told you it's supposed to be easy? You're trying to make six figures a year, you're trying to make seven figures a year, you're trying to make eight figures, nine figures, you think it's supposed to be easy? No, it's supposed to be very, very hard. And the minute that you realize that it's hard, it's a good thing. Then you you know you're on your way, right? Like even now, like man, there's so much pain that I have to go through still, and I just know it's getting us closer to where we want to go because it's a bigger dream. The bigger the dream, the bigger the challenge. And you know, again, your job is to solve it. And and you know, once you solve it, then it's all right. Well, you get to celebrate. And you get to be present in that celebration. But now it's time for 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 a new purpose. And mm. and um. Yeah. So I I love pain. Like I think it's, uh, if, if, again, people would just understand that it's life and pain are inseparable. They, they, they would see it as a good thing.
0: hundred percent. I'm curious, was there ever a point in your career where you were monetarily successful, but unfulfilled?
1: Sure. Um, you know, I think there, there's always, again, going back to just being challenged, right? Like I, I think, you start to become, the anxiety comes in, the, the stir craziness starts to come in when you start, stop being productive and when you stop challenging yourself. What I realize is that if I'm not being challenged, I'm sort of a dead man, right? I need to be challenged to feel alive, to run away from challenges, to hide from them, to try to escape from them is really seizing, you're seized to be alive, right? And... That's right for me when I get challenges I know I'm going to grow from it and I'm constantly seeking them and you know maybe the challenge isn't financial anymore but maybe it's how much money you can give away maybe the challenge maybe it's a cold plunge. Yeah, maybe it's a cold plunge, right? Maybe the challenge is, you know, you want to be a better father, maybe the challenge is you want to be closer to your faith. Whatever the challenge is, you want to you want to make sure you do it and I think that's really what has always ha- helped Me stay happy, believe it or not. I think the apps happiness is not the absence of 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 um, problems. I think happiness is your ability to deal with them, Mm. your ability to resolve them. But problems are always going to happen. So again, I I just I'm constantly looking at ways to to challenge myself and, and that's what makes it fun. See, I think the higher the discipline, the happier you'll be in life. Now, the thing about discipline that you got to understand is that it sucks at first, it's freaking hard, but if you can sustain it for a long time, then it becomes a lifestyle and it's no longer hard. The opposite is pleasure. Pleasure is easy. Pleasure is great. So much fun. However, if you sustain pleasure for a long time, what happens is your discipline will go down. And if your discipline goes down, your happiness level goes down. Mm. The, ha- the, the higher the discipline, the happier you'll be. The lesser the discipline, the less happy you'll be. Mm. And discipline comes with challenges.
0: Yeah, there's a great quote that comes to mind. that says, if you do in life what is easy, your life will end up hard. But if you do in life what is hard, your life will end up easy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see that in so many people, you know, people that when I was in college that I decided to drop out of college and do this weird pyramid scheme network marketing thing that yeah. everyone told me would never work. It was hard to go through the criticism, but now my life is a little bit easier because I was willing to go through that uncomfortableness and take that criticism and uh, make it out of the other side. Yeah.
1: Um, by the way, I love what you said about, you know, character, right? And you talk about what's easy, what's not like, as you become more successful, like I wanted to work on my character. I wanted to be honorable. I wanted to be noble, right? And, And what I've noticed is like, you know, being greedy, right? That's common being a thief. That's common, you know, being a liar, that's common the worst attributes. Are always more common, mm. right? But what's rare is being humble. What's rare is being kind. Kind, what's integrity, right? Being a person of integrity, being a person of courage, being a person of per- perseverance, being a person that's grateful, being a person that is generous. You know, those things are rare, you know? And I think eventually what happens is your talent, your looks, your whatever it is, runs out. Right, But when your talent runs out, one of the way, great ways that you can control being extraordinary is by controlling your character. Mm. Your character will never go away. And that's one of the ways you can die extraordinary is by building your character. That's something no one could ever take away from you.
0: Mm. Well, well said, man. You've, uh, you're have friends with and been in the room with some of the most influential people on the planet, people like Grant Cardone, Ed Milet is a really close friend. Uh, it feels like in today's world, especially with my generation, you know, there's masterminds and there's social media and all these fake gurus and you know, there's networking and there's all these things to try and get in the right room or connect with people. For you, obviously, you built a, a mega successful business, but how did you start to create those relationships with some of these people and not just create the relationship where it's a high and buy, but there's a true value add friendship there?
1: Yeah, I think for me. I've always been huge on honoring people and and making them feel special. And I think one of the ways you do that is just by seeing people, right? Making them feel like they belong, making them feel like they matter. A great way to do that when you first meet someone is just by asking them their story. Just be interested in their story. Mm -hmm. and Even if you're a person that maybe is an introvert, all you have to do is ask the person, hey, tell me your story. And as they're telling you their story, you look for four things, right? You want to look for where the uh, the conflict that they've had to go through, because if you can tell what their conflict is, that's that's a time when they probably felt very alone. That's a time when they probably felt like they didn't matter. So if you know the conflict, that's a special thing to know about someone. Knowing their villains, who's made their life impossible. Knowing their mentors, who's made their lives, you know, who's helped them, and then knowing their dreams. And if you know those four things about them, then you could you can show them that you did see them. And the way to blow them away is by reverting back to a week later, two weeks later, mm. something that they said during their conversation. And any any of those four things, revert it back to them. Now they're like, wait a minute, this person was listening to me, this person cared about me, and now you start to build relationships with them. The other thing is that. As far as as in the personal development space, like, uh, you know, Ed Ed Milet's a big mentor of mine. Erwin McManus, huge mentor of mine. Both have been huge. I've never really asked them anything about business because I know where to get my answers. Like, I listen to their podcast. I listen to their, I read their books. So any of that stuff, I don't need to ask them. They've already written about it, right? So now when I'm hanging out with them, we're just hanging out like buds, like I don't need to ask him a business question. I've already know all the business questions I need to know because I've already read up on them, right? And now, I've just separated myself from everybody else, right? You always want to be different. You don't want to be like everyone else. Why would you want to be like everybody else? Asking them a million freaking questions. Ah, there's another dude. Sales one on one, right? Got to separate yourself. Yeah, it's asking me a million questions. Whoa, this yeah. guy doesn't even ask me any questions. Like shit, he's just like my buddy. Yeah. Right? He he doesn't need me. So you don't want to come across desperate. Sure. Right. Um, and, you know, it's it's very humble. Right. Like it's it's a I don't mean it in an arrogant way. Like, oh, I don't want to ask you something. Right. But if I already know all the answers because I've been humble enough to read up on everything and not take that time away from them when it's already written, it's already they've already said it a million times. Like, why are they going to ask? Right. Because think about it. If you ask them a question that they've million, millions of times have talked about, you just told them you never listen to their stuff. Right, you just told them that they don't really matter. Yeah, because you don't. You should know that answer, right? So anyway, that's for me, uh, a big way of of uh, just building relationships. And I just, you know, it's funny. You don't have to be interesting. You just have to be interested. A lot of times people think that you got to do all the talking. No, we just got to sip it and ask questions and let them answer. You know, what? Here's another great question. What's something that you're looking forward to? Like. What gets you excited today? Like, what's what's got you excited about the future?
0: Yeah, press those hot buttons. And for all the sales leaders out there, it's like, those are great questions to ask your people. You know, mm-hmm. one of the best ways to be a leader is to truly care, be more interested than interesting, figure out what their why are, figure out what their desires are. Mm-hmm. So when they do drift and they do get into a slump, it's not a surface level conversation. You can pull back in that emotion exactly. to why they started in the first
1: place. I love that you brought that up because part of when you... First hire a person, yeah, find out what their conflict is. You know, Who are their villains? Who are their mentors? What are their dreams? You know those four things, now you know what, how to drive them. Absolutely. But most leaders won't even take the time to ask their juniors their story. Like you should want to know their story, right? But it's almost like this arrogant of like, I don't need to know your story, you're, you're eight bucks an hour, 15 bucks an hour, you should know my story, I don't need to know your story. But if you take the time to actually learn their story, now they're like, wow, this person cares about me.
0: Absolutely. Uh, let's let's pivot a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, mm-hmm. obviously your wife, Teddy, and you. I'm, I'm really curious. I've never been on a reality TV show. Most people haven't. But someone like you, who is very into personal development, very poised, very zen, I get the essence, very about yourself, to be on national TV in a TV show that is based on a lot of drama, that's what get yeah. eyeballs. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and how you navigated through that wall still, making sure you're showing up for your business and your 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 family and still being able to deliver
1: 100%? Yeah, it goes back to just putting myself in these uncomfortable situations. I, I hate the camera. I don't like the camera. I get sh- very shy and very timid in front of the camera. So it was just one of those things that it made me so uncomfortable that I was like, all right, I'm gonna do it. You know. And uh, it was fun, like it was, it got me uncomfortable. And part of the reason it gets me uncomfortable and the reason I don't like it still is I still get nervous once in a while. Like it doesn't happen as much as it used to, but sometimes if I get really nervous, you'll see me start sweating and like bad. Uh, In fact, I remember it happened to me at a red carpet one time. But you know, when it's happened so much to you throughout your life, you kind of know it's coming. And I made this excuse that I needed to go use the restroom. Sure. And I got out of there so quick. Self-awareness, right? <laughs> I went around the block and just spent like 10 minutes just sweating my ass off and then went back to the red carpet. My hair's all jacked up now because I was sweating all, all, all the time. But um, just, yeah, man, to, it was that experience. I wanted to, it made me uncomfortable, so I wanted to do it. You know, first time I, my first podcast I ever did was with Grant Cardone. Mm. I remember I only slept one hour that night because I was so scared that I was going to go over there. And what if I start stumbling my words? What if I get uncomfortable? What if I start sweating? And Grant's going to say, what the F are you going to do? What the F are you doing here? You know, you're not a power player. What are you doing here? And, and I thought, what if my sales guys see that? They're never going to want to work for me uh, or work with me, I should say. And, uh, you know, it's funny how the mind works and tries to scare the shit out of you, right? But I was like, nope, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to step into that uncertainty. And what happened is once I succeeded at that podcast with with Grant, again, unlocked a new level of belief. And then sure enough, Ed Milette calls me. and He's like, hey, man, I loved what you did with Grant. Do you mind coming out on my show? And, And then I came out on him. Then him and I became really, really good friends. And, you know, again, getting uncomfortable.
0: That's awesome. I think you bring up a really valid point. It's you need to leverage your past wins. Yeah. I feel like so many people, we've all done great things in our life, you know, mm-hmm. micro or macro, whether it's, you know, you I hit the that. the home running win for your high school, you know, game when you were super nervous, or you did a podcast with someone that you didn't, or you made that sale, uh, you won that sales competition, even though you were the underdog. We all do amazing things throughout our life, but we tend to forget them when we get into uncomfortable challenge uh, mm-hmm. situations and The more wins that you can stack up, and it doesn't have to be as big of, you know, crushing an episode with Grant Cardone, but as you start to stack those wins, your confidence grows if you can resurface that. Mm -hmm. Because if you can put yourself back into that uncomfortable situation and be like, oh, I was feeling the same type of way that I'm feeling now, and I made it through, and it actually became better. And then you start to silence the doubts and the nervousness in your mind, and you start to almost channel this level of conviction, faith, and confidence. And it allows you to execute, to continue to stack and move forward.
1: Man, I love that. It's exactly it, man. The only time you want to go to your past is to get confidence from it. Mm. I call them anchor moments. When you go to your your past and you go back to wins, big wins that you have. And for me, I wanted to, when I go back to the past on those wins, I'm focusing on the way I felt like, what was that feeling like? when I used to have tough days selling door to door, I used to go back to the feeling I had when I did five sales in one day in alarms, right? And I would, the, the interesting part is, if you really go back to the feeling of it, when you're doing great, when you're in your, at your peak, you're not thinking about anything. Flow. You're flowing, right? And that's what I meant about everything is reflexive you want to get to the point with your pitch, with your rebuttals that, man, you don't even have to think about it. If you have to think about what you're going to say, you already lost, right? And every time I got those big sales days, the thought of getting, of not getting one never crossed my mind. And when I think about the slow days that I had, it was like, oh, man, I don't think I'm going to get one today, right? And it's all this overthinking, right? I think of it high frequency, low frequency. That high frequencies when you could eliminate all the thoughts. You don't have any thoughts because you have so much clarity. That's why clarity, knowing where you're going, knowing why you're doing something, right? It gives you clarity, and those thoughts aren't messing with you again, right? It's, it's the overthinking that messes you up. And I remember just when I was having those long days, and it was six hours without getting a sale, I remember I would just stop, and I was like, okay. I keep feeling the way I'm feeling right now and keep overthinking everything, I'm not going to get a sale. Let me go back to the way I felt when I got five sales, and it wasn't the way I'm feeling right now. So I need to go back to that feeling, get the confidence from that, and then I would move forward and I'd end up with a sale. Mm. But it was that awareness, right? Again, you can't improve on something you're unaware of. And when you start becoming aware of how you feel, it's a huge difference, how you feel when you crushed 10, you know, five sales, my, my all-time best in alarms was five sales in one day. Remember how I felt that way versus when you know, one of the few moments I've, I've ever, you know, gotten zeros, you know, the way I felt that day. It was all about the, the feeling of it.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about our industry. I think what's super special is you're in business for yourself, but you're not in business by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not many opportunities where some 18-year-old off the street or some, a uh, you know, professional who is just over his current career and wants to make a pivot can get into an environment that has that, that has access to someone like you that has access to some of your leaders that are sharing this leadership development that is sharing this wisdom that is living the life. You know, one of the big paradigm shifts for me was meeting people who were 22, 23, 24 mm-hmm. years old living the life that I want because for a really long time. You believe that success is this fleeting, esoteric thing that is only for movie stars or people that were born on this side of the street. And until you actually experience it, like you said, or meet someone, then you start to shift that mindset and paradigm. Then you start to realize, man, this successful person—I'm sure for you, meeting it at my Grant Cardone—you're like, wow, they're really good at what they do, but they're not that much better than me. They're not a yeah. hundred times better than me. Right. And then you start to take them off the pedestal, and the bridge between where you are and where they are and where you want to get to be gets And I think that's what's so special about this industry. We give access to someone like yourself, where normally someone wouldn't. Normally to get access to an Edwin or someone crushing it, you'd have to go pay $100,000 to join a mastermind, where with this, you get an opportunity and you get the network and access for free.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think, you know. I often say the same thing is when, the beautiful thing about hanging out with very successful people is you start to realize they're not that special. And you start to realize, wait, they're just like me. Right. And then it makes you believe that maybe you can do it. Right. But sometimes you hold them at such a high, because you don't meet them, you just think they're like God or something, or they're doing these great, great things. But in reality, they're just like us. Right. They just, they're, they're putting in the, the, the work. But again, everything is belief level. And I know a lot of, there's a lot of door to door people that, that, that listen to your show. So, you know, I can tell you that my success came really from outworking everybody like I said at the beginning like when I first started going door to door we've been talking about giving yourself a shot like actually attempting it attempting it isn't oh I'm going to try for 5 hours and see if I get one like for me attempting it was I ain't leaving the damn field until I get a sale today mm. I ain't getting the I ain't leaving the field until I get a power bill today right it wasn't it was a non-negotiable like, I was going to knock till 9.30, 10.30 at night, but I was not going to come back home without a sale. And I can't tell you how many sales I got at 9.30, 10.30 yeah. at one night. One more door. I oh. mean, a crap load, right? And, but what that did for me, it, again, it wasn't that I was this great sales guy. It's just that because I kept knocking at 10.30, when I would get that one sale, now... It just unlocked a new level of belief, right? Whereas if you compare me to the guy that at eight, at decided to sit on the curve at 8 p.m. and say, oh, I'll just come back tomorrow with a little more energy, right? Even though he was way more talented, when he decided to sit on the curve and wait till the next day, his confidence went down. When I got my sale at 10.30, my confidence went up. Mm. And then the same thing. Same next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. All of a sudden, there's a separation of belief. Mm. The separation of belief came from the results. The reason people won't buy from you is because you look desperate. Mm. And what getting those sales on the last store did for me, it created such a belief in me that when it was eight o'clock at night, the thought of getting one, the thought of going home without a sale. Never crossed my mind. The reason it never crossed my mind was because I had gotten so many deals at 10 o'clock at night, that I knew it was just a matter of time. So because of that, I never looked desperate in front of the client, right? And it's why they ended up buying from me. And then, you know, over time you just compound that stuff. Your belief level just goes to the roof, and uh, you know, and I when I say I was willing to die, but I was not going to leave the field, like I was knocking doors in Compton, Watts. I don't know if there's any, I don't know if there's many people knocking in Watts till 1030 at night. That was me. But like, I was not going to be broke anymore. I was like, I need to get my family of the situation that we're in. I'm going to make it happen. And that's really what it came down to. And that took me to the next level, you know? And so I guess my, my biggest... Advice I can give a brand new guy that, that's just getting started in the direct marketing industry is you got to put in the work. The work comes before the belief, right? If you're not willing to put the work in, you're not going to get the belief. If you're not, you not don't get the belief, you're never going to do it. I don't care how talented you are. The results get you the belief. You get the results by putting in the time, running massive, massive numbers and at the end of the day, it's just it's just a, a numbers game, and I think people underestimate the amount of numbers that they have to run to be successful. See, if you if you don't run enough numbers, if you don't run enough presentations, if you don't run enough, you know, calls, what happens is you have very little clients, and because you have very little potential clients, they become so valuable to you, mm. they become scarce that you look desperate. The opposite, imagine if you had an abundance of leads, if you had an abundance of recruits, right? Because you've been planting a ton of seeds, right? Now, the scarcity is on your time. You got so many, you don't even have time for it. Well, because you don't have time for it because there's so many of them, you become valuable. Prize framing. Exactly, you become valuable now. Now it's easy, now you don't look desperate to a new recruit, right? It's like, yes, I want you, but there's also like 50 other guys that want to come work with us because they know all the great things that we do here, right? Versus you don't do enough recruiting, so like everything's relying on this one guy, and oh my God, if this guy doesn't come, we're screwed. The company's going to go out of business. Well, now you come across desperate to that guy. That guy's never going to want to do business with you. Absolutely.
0: Well said. Uh, Edwin, I'm curious your your approach with this. So I think one of the biggest challenges in our industry is we teach people how to make money, give them the vehicle, mentorship, uh, identity support, all that stuff. But I feel like there's some type of disconnect with financial literacy. I know so many people that have been in the industry for five, six, seven, eight years who make great money, two, three, 400K a year, but they're not investing properly. They have nothing to show for it. And I tell my guys this often, one of the worst things that... I feel like I could do to you guys as a leader is if you dedicate your five, six, eight years, however long you're with us, and all you leave with is memories, Instagram photos, and you have to go get another sales job. Mm. Why do you think most young, hungry entrepreneurs or direct salespeople aren't creating wealth? And what are some things that you think that they could do or that you've done yourself in order to set themselves up uh, financially uh, for the long haul?
1: Well, for me, I think real estate has always been sort of big for me. And at first, I, I just, I sort of, I didn't even know what I was doing. I was upgrading my houses is what I was doing. But, you have
0: two, right? Two of the same house in Beverly Hills?
1: Yeah. So, uh, well, I have, I, have, I have like seven homes, I think. Yeah. Uh, but w- what I did with real estate, again, I didn't even know at the time, but I, was, there was a, I had a particular dream that I wanted as, a, as my home. And your first home is more than likely never going to be your dream home, sure. right? It's again, we we kept talking about unlocking a new level of success, right? My first home was hundred fifty grand and then I sold it, and I bought a three hundred thousand dollar house for my mom. I wish I didn't sell the first one. Um, but when I bought the three hundred thousand, then I bought an eight hundred thousand, and I didn't sell it. then I bought a one point eight million dollar house, and then I bought a $3.2 million house, and then I bought a $5 million house, and then I bought a $7 million house, I bought a $2 million building. But the beautiful thing about direct marketing is it's a cash flow. I mean, it just produces cash, right? So I never had to sell my houses. And as I upgraded to the next house and the next house, two things. It allowed me to rent it, right? Because I didn't have to sell it. hmm and that became huge cash flow for me, right? Also, be, those houses became worth twice as much as they're worth when I back when I bought them. Now they're worth twice, triple the amount, right? But now the rents I get on those homes are, are great. But the other great thing that it did is every time I bought a house, you know, the beach house that I bought, it's, it's on the sand, I had to give a big deposit. So now that created a new urgency Mm. in me to get my ass back to work, because I'm like, shit, I just gave a big ass deposit. I think I gave maybe 800,000. And I'm like, whoa. Good chunk. Yeah, it's a good chunk. I need to rebuild that, you know? And it made me want to work hard, right? And and every time I did that, I needed to go work harder because I don't want to go broke again. And I've always wanted to have at least two years of my bills paid off in cash right so that god forbid something happens i got some time to figure stuff out right um and that num that's always that creates urgency in me to go make it happen right and um so investing in things you know i have an iul policy i think you have one as well right like i put in a ton of money into that and it's a great for when i get older because when i get older maybe i won't have the energy that i have today but Paying that big amount makes me want to work harder, right? Because it creates this urgency of like, whoa, that's a big payment I'm giving every month. It's good for the future and all that. So, versus if you just kind of, if you think about, if you have a ton of money in your savings or in your checking account, you start to get complacent because it's raining like, ah, outside, it's cold. Yeah, you start get, you know, I, I call it putting yourself in pressure situations that increase your urgency level. Everything, if you want to be successful, you got to have urgency. One of the ways that you create urgency is by giving yourself a deadline on when you're going to do that, have that go by, Mm. and by putting yourself in pressure situations, right? You know, believe it or not, you know, the first time I bought myself a nice car, like that was a little pressure situation for me. I'm like, whoa, I need to work hard to make sure I pay this car. But it made me want to work even harder because every time I came back from the field, I was like, All right. This is why I work my ass off, right? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, no, and um, that for me, that's that real estate has been kind of my go-to. Um, I've never been a stock person. Um, real estate's kind of always been my my thing. So to piggyback off
0: that, this is more of a a selfish question because it's something that I've battled with over the years. You know, there's two sides of the coin. You have one side of the coin that is live below your means, invest as much as possible, don't buy anything unless it's from passive cash flow, you know, make sure you're setting yourself up for the future. And then you have the other side of the coin, which is don't overextend, but go reward yourself. Make sure that you are putting money into certain things so it keeps you motivated. Step into that dream. Buy that Lamborghini, something Mm -hmm. I'm battling with right now. Buy that Lamborghini, Iris, so it you reward yourself and it allows you to step into that new identity. Where do you fall on that side of the coin and what advice
1: would you give to people with that? Ooh, that I balance? love that question, man. I'm very passionate about this question. So one of the things that I did when I was first uh, building was I would always split my check three ways, right? So if I wanted to live on five grand a week, I needed to make 15 grand, mm-hmm. right? But if I did that, I wasn't afraid to buy nice things for myself, because that got me excited to go out and work hard. And it also built my identity, because I was like, wait a minute, I can't afford a $3 million house. Wait a minute, I can't afford a $6 million house. I can't afford, you know, I didn't have to sell my houses, right? And anytime you're gonna do any of that kind of stuff, it's gonna be very scary, right? Can I afford a yours, can I not? Like, you'll never know if you don't try, right? But to answer your question, for me, the reason it's worked and a big part of my success has been the latter, putting myself in pressure situations that then increase my urgency level, that increase my necessity level. My definition of a necessity level is this willingness that untaps this new level of, of um, it's a sudden willingness that untaps a new level of um urgency that you did not know you even possessed, right? Um this all of a sudden you you tap into this part that you didn't even like it's like you have so much energy is the best way to to, to describe it. And um if the key though, the disclaimer to putting yourself in pressure situations is if you're not a person that keeps the promises that they make to themselves, then that's not good for you. Mm -hmm. But if you're a person that always keeps the promises they make to themselves, then pressure situations are really good Mm -hmm. because the best version of you will come out, right? And you figure it out. And when you figure it out, it now gets you to your identity so much faster because you start to realize that, You're a money-making machine and the money's on its way. So if you're a money-making machine and the money's on its way, why are you waiting to have everything you need to start taking action? Mm. No, you start taking action before you even have it, right? I'm not afraid of getting that yours because no matter where I go, I'm going to be successful. It doesn't matter if the solar industry goes to shit. I can go to any industry and I'll be the top at that industry. Why? Because I've done it over and over. No matter where I go, I end up as number one. Mm. That's what I when I say you have to become first. Once you become, you're no longer afraid. But again, if you're not a person that's used to keeping the promises you make to yourself and you put yourself in that pressure situation, you'll collapse and you could lose everything, right? But if you, if you are comfortable with pressure situations because you have a history of always keeping the promises you make to yourself, it just untaps a, this, uh, this amount of ability in you that you didn't even know you had. Mm. So for me, that's been the, my success is, is I've always put myself in those pressure situations, and it's made me want to work even harder. Love that, man. Now well, what happens is, so what happens after a while, the material, like a big part of my success was material things. Like I loved, and I still do, I still love nice things. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Right? But eventually, you realize that ma- the material will drive you until it doesn't, sure. and then what happens, your spiritual will drive you. And you can't fill a spiritual void with physical things. So after a while, those physical things are cool. And what I've noticed about those physical things is um, they bring you... I used to think like having a ton of money, having a bunch of women, having a bunch of you know, exotic cars and big houses brought me happiness... But I realized those things never brought me happiness. They brought me pleasure. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with pleasure. I just started to understand that pleasure is a sensation. And because it's a sensation, it's unstable. Because in the scales of life, you're always going to get hit with the sensation of discomfort and pain. So what I really started to realize is I wanted to live inside out versus outside in. Mm. Inside out is what allowed me to feel good about myself. And the way you start living inside out is gratitude, is learning how to take a negative into a positive. And again, um, I just I started to realize that I, that's what took me from the material world into the inner world as far as like just being okay with myself because I knew that there wasn't going to be enough money, there wasn't going to be enough money, there wasn't going to be en- enough of anything in the material world. And that's what started, again, Challenge yourself, right? Let me go inside out versus outside in. That said, it's not a bad thing to have nice things, but just know that they bring you pleasure. They don't bring you happiness. Just because you go buy yourself a yours isn't going to be is going to mean that you're not going to be happy for the rest of your life. It's not, but it'll bring you pleasure. It's it's like Trophy. A, there's time. Yeah, it's a trophy. Like I, I have a Lamborghini at home, and I, I've had it. I've had I had had one since 2008, but. The, this new one I've had for five years, six years, and probably has 8,000 miles. Yeah. I just like looking at it. Yeah. I don't even drive it. I just, every time I come home, garage goes up, and I'm like, oh, she's a beauty. Makes you I feel just good. I love looking at it. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. It's my dream as a kid. Well, I'm know? sold
0: on it, man. I need it for the tax uh, write-off, too. So yeah, and you I'll got have that, by too. by the end of the month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah, you'll, you'll be fine with it, man. <laughs>
0: I know. Uh, Edwin, you're the man, bro. Uh, thank you so much. I could talk to you for hours, and we could do yeah, it. Man, that but was fun. I definitely want to respect your time. My last question yeah. for you before we wrap up, if the Edwin today, super successful, running a nine-figure company, mentored thousands of people, traveling the world, awesome family, if that Edwin could give the Edwin when you were 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, that was low confidence, low self-esteem, just getting into the call center advice, what would that
1: advice be? I think at a young age, I think I did everything. I think the the wisdom of that God gave me helped me a lot. But if I had to go back, it'd be more telling the 32-year-old Edwin or the 21-year-old Edwin. I think the, the one thing I, I probably should have done was associate with people that were doing way better than me. I always partied with people that were doing Mm -hmm. way better than me, but I never wanted them, I I never wanted to feel like, I didn't want them to think that I didn't belong there, so I never asked them questions about business. It was just partying all the time. So if I can go back, I would have probably asked them more business questions questions, because back then there was no social media. Like right now you have no excuse, yeah right? DM. DM or just listening to podcasts. Or pers- there wasn't any of that when I was growing up. But what changed my, what took me to a whole different level is I joined the Young President's Organization in 2024.
0: Mm. You told me about this. Sorry, 2014.
1: Sorry, not 2024. 2014. Yeah. And I mean, that was what, 15, 14 years later, 15 years later. Um, and I started surrounding myself with people that were doing way, way, way bigger things than I was. And I was like, wait a minute, I still have a lot of growing to do. And that's really what made me now start working on myself and wanting to become better. Cause I think I'd become a little arrogant as far as like, yeah, I don't need to, I didn't, I don't need to work on my mindset. Like I'm good. This is as good as it's going to get. And hanging around with people that just were way more successful than me, just kind of made me think bigger made me want to dream bigger and uh, it's why important too but it's it's why it's important to be with a with a company that's thinking big right and associating yourself with with people that are thinking big things because sometimes man if if you're at a company and they're not thinking big like it's sort of stunting your growth right 100 and um i was just talking to a gentleman the other day and you know he was saying how he wanted to leave because that the company's been so stagnant, but he felt bad because the, the owner's been, you know, he feels bad leaving the owner, or the, and not the owner, the manager at the time. He works at a corporate side. And I said, well, you, you really can't feel bad for them because just because they stopped growing? Because I asked him, has the manager grown? Has he done anything? He's like, no, he's just stagnant. He's always going to Disneyland. He's always going golfing. He's always doing this, always yeah. doing that. And I'm like, it's his fault because eventually if you got a player a badass that wants to do well, if you don't grow, then you can't educate them more. And if you can't educate your juniors, they're eventually going to want to leave you. Sure, It doesn't matter how many things you did for them. The number one component to loyalty is education. Because mm. if you can educate people, it does three things. Number one, it establishes that you're an expert in your field, as long as they can validate what you're saying is true. Number two, it creates great empathy in people, mm. because now you're going down to their level and you're getting to feel what they're going through, right? When you go to on the doors with someone, right? You don't have to, but you go on the doors with someone, you have to feel that pain they're having to go through. That creates great empathy with them. And then the third thing, it, exho- it shows extreme, I call it extremism, that you're willing to go that extra mile for someone because training is hard. Most people don't want to train because you need some patience. Mm-hmm. You need. You need. Um, it's tough. It takes a long time. Yeah, so a good when you chance could, they'll leave. You invest all this, and they leave. Yeah, but when you could do that, what I've noticed is, as long as you keep educating, educate, they'll never leave you. But if all of a sudden, as as a leader, you stop educating because now you stop growing, and you got a player that's coming up, he's eventually gonna gonna leave you, right? Um, the last thing I'll say on this, because it's important, I think, is. Same thing when you're running big teams. Like if you're not constantly growing your team, like let's say you have only one big team and that one big team is, is doing all of your volume. And now you think, all right, man, I got myself a Steve. I don't gotta work a day in my life because he's bringing all the volume. I'm good, I'm gonna chill. I'm gonna go play golf all the time, right? What happens is because you only have one leader, now that one leader starts to think that you need them more than they need you. Mm. Because then your junior's going, wait a minute, I'm doing all the work here. What What is this guy bringing to the table, right? And then now, as an owner, you look desperate because you only have them, right? But imagine if you can continue to build leaders, right? Now you don't look desperate anymore because you got a wealth of, of leaders and it also inspires them right so that's the for me as a as a as an advice to leaders is continue building more teams don't just get satisfied cuz you got one or two guys because if you stop growing and those guys are just as good as you they're eventually going to want to leave you because you you're stunning their growth one of the things that drives me to continue to grow the company and grow it is a i want to give people the opportunity that i've had but B, I, wanna, I want my guys to make the same kind of money that I'm making, mm. right? Like if I don't make that kind of money, like one of my top guys will make $5 million this year. He'll make uh-huh. the same amount that I did when I did 20,000 installs, right? And it, I wanted to grow because the only way he can make that kind of money is if I continue to grow. Yeah. That's why like, people ask him all the time, well, why don't you go start your own thing? Well, he's like, well, I'll make more money if I stay here. Right. And I know that to be fact because I knew what I made when I did 20,000 installs and it was less than he made. Right. So, but that's the beauty of wanting to grow as a leader is you give people more opportunity to, to make their dreams come true.
0: Well said, man. People don't lead companies, they lead leaders. And exactly. I believe in that 100%. Yep. Edwin, it's been amazing, man. For those that want to connect with you, potentially look at Skyline or just check out your content, where can they find you?
1: Uh, Instagram's probably the best place uh, under Tedwinator. that's probably the best place that you can find me. And I'm always looking at my DMs. I don't scroll a lot, but I do go on my DMs. I look at those as like texts. Yeah. Yeah. It's a modern day text message. Sometimes, man, scrolling down, believe it or not, I'm very competitive. uh, And it just, it's not good for my mental health sometimes. I'm with you, man. So I'm like, I'll DM, like if people DM, I'll DM back, but I'm not like a guy that'll spend hours looking at that stuff. Fuck Social media is head. dangerous, for yep. sure.
0: <laughs> Edwin, thank you so much, man. It's been amazing. Right. Guys, as always, we're going to continue to bring the heat. I appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode.